Howdy, everyone. Welcome to Unsafe Space. You're watching Kofefi Break live on Friday. I am, uh, what's today? Friday, May 15th. And uh, I'm joined by Carrie, who is not using her new computer yet because Apple hasn't shipped it, but she is on a cell phone with a better camera than her normal camera. Carrie, welcome. That's what she actually Hi, looks Carter. like, everyone. How there you, you go. <laughs> I'm good. I'm well. How are you? Well, on my end, it's really blurry. Hold on. Oh. The, take the camera off of me, and I'm just going to check my Wi-Fi connection real quick. <laughs> You're much clearer than you normally are. Uh, oh, okay, then good. As long as you can see me, I can't really see either of us, but that's okay. Oh, well, I you, you know what I look like, so it's all good. Yeah. How are you doing? Hello. Welcome to Cafefe Break. I'm good. Um, for those who are joining us for the first time, this is a show that we do live on Mondays and Fridays. You can follow us on unsafespace.com. Check out our book club. We do a monthly book club. We have um, uh, merchandise there. And you can also, if you like the show, you, you can subscribe on YouTube, which helps us to up our numbers. And you can also um, subscribe on subscribestar.com under Unsafe Space if you want to contribute uh, financially. I can't see the chat today because I'm on my phone, just FYI, so I can't see what anyone's saying. Okay, well, I will try and pay attention a little bit. At least we'll put up, I'll put super chats on the screen so you should be able to maybe see them. Uh, maybe you won't even see those, though. I don't know. I'll read them. I'll read them to you. Um, Carrie, I've got a... Maybe we need to, like, at least have something positive to talk about today because the my little, my notes for today's show, because, you know, I go through, like, hey, what are the stories that are happening and whatever, and my four categories were Sensors, spies, thugs, and lies. <laughs> I feel like just, and I have a little thing, like a little note to talk about authoritarianism generally. I, it's just like all oh bad news. This, I'm, I don't know if it's just my mood, but it's just bad. It seems like all bad news for me this week. Do you have any, can we start off with anything positive and maybe we'll end with something positive or should I give up on that? Hmm. Uh, well, yeah, <laughs> life, life in uh, authoritarianism. I actually, I had my first like get together with people, well, one of them, one of my first yesterday I had a, we went to the, we went for a picnic in the park and a couple of friends who had birthdays. Yeah. Um, there's during... a, in Texas, I, there's a, there was a group of people who got together yesterday. <laughs> uh, where was it, Carrie? <laughs> <laughs> right. <Sorry. laughs> right. We had a. We had to get together. We brought our dogs. We had barbecue um, out by the water on the picnic tables. It was great. There were like seven or seven of us, eight of us, and um, there were cops there, but they didn't do anything. They've been kind of very hands off, which I think is good, uh, at least where I'm at. So we were allowed to have, and they had That's good previously put in this park. They put caution tape up all around the playground equipment so kids couldn't use it, and they had put it up around the picnic tables, but. Um, the remnants of it were still there, but somebody else had torn it down. We didn't tear it down. It was just torn down when we got there. So I think people have just kind of been like, okay, we're getting back to the real world, <laughs> which has been good. But yeah, that was fun. Well, that's good. That's, that's, uh, that's some good news. That's some good news, I guess. Um, uh, not everything in Texas, I guess you can, I guess your Texas story can be the, segue to uh, one of the stories that I wanted to talk about today, uh, which was not under the censors or the spies category, but it is under the lies category. Uh, let's see if I can pull this up. Okay. Um, 
Here we go. I'm trying not to boomer attack this. Okay, can everyone see that? Now, oh, hey, Keith, thank you for the I super chat. You're going to have to read it to me. I'll read it to you. Uh, Keith, by the way, thank you for the super chat. Uh, please put this toward a laptop with a 4K high-res camera for Carrie. Uh, I don't know if the camera we got is for... It's a, we got a brand new... We got a brand new uh, MacBook Air for Carrie. So it's coming. I don't know if it has 4K, but it's going to be a much better Thank camera. Thank you, guys. Um, and by the okay. way, that's... That's Sorry. Sorry. because of that is directly because of people who supported us. Absolutely. Like we wouldn't have been able to buy that. <laughs> yes, otherwise. that is Thank absolutely you. you guys that that purchased that. Um, yeah. Okay. So uh, so actually this story is Texas Sheriff raids bar protest with military style assault vehicle and a SWAT team. <laughs> uh, arrests and outrage ensue. Wow. So, yeah. Carrie, I, I assume you saw this, but this is Ector County. I don't know where that is. Do you know where Ector County is? No, I did not see this. Okay, well... Um, I'm not sure where that county is. So these guys... So why, look, <laughs> this article mentions this. Like, police departments across America... Uh, I'm just going to read the beginning. Remember when police departments across America got MRAPs from the military and most of us were asking, what the heck did the police need vehicles of war? Uh, and what are they? why do they need vehicles of war? And what are they going to use them for? Well, now we know. So an MRAP is... Um, just for those of you who uh, are unaware, an MRAP is a mine-resistant, ambush-protected <laughs> vehicle. Like the one in the picture that Carrie can't see here. It's also the one in the picture uh, that I used for today's episode. So that's these two guys. I have a hard time looking at these guys without laughing because they look like they're LARPing as military. <laughs> they're both, Carrie, I know you can't see them, but they're like, they're both obese uh, guys, like, guts hanging out with like, a sheriff's vest that doesn't fit and like they just and like some gear but not all gear so this one guy's got like an ar and a vest but not anything else um it just they definitely look like larpers uh but i uh i can see it by the way it's just everything's blurry i can't read any of it oh, okay um, the, the one the first guy there reminds me of so back when i used to do handgun training um i had my nra handgun instructor certificate when I was in California. And back when I used to do handgun training, the school that I trained at, we would occasionally train police officers. And I was shocked by that because I didn't realize that a lot of them, they don't get the range time that you assume that they get. And um, we would occasionally also train security guards who worked for some of the casinos, like Hustler in particular. We trained some of those security guards. A lot of the security guards had big old bellies like that. And it was really hard because we were doing teaching um, moving and shooting drills and teaching how to pull the gun from the holster and stuff. <laughs> and their bellies they in the way. Literally, some of them had to move the. Yeah, they had yeah. to move their belly. I've had with the same experience. Yeah. To pull the gun out, <laughs> and it was like, dude, that's dangerous. You could shoot your hand. Like when you're, you, you shouldn't have to use one hand to assist. Um, that should be part of the training too. Is like the same way they have physical fitness requirements for firefighters. I think they should have them for police. Any first responders they should have physical fitness requirements well it's interesting that but you yeah, say this because uh keith and i keith the hat guy and i were talking um maybe keith will remind me what day it was but i don't remember uh, the other day and uh 
yeah, my experience as well is that uh, there are some police officers who are switched on and totally badass, and you don't want to go anywhere within a 20-foot radius of them <laughs> ever if they're on your bad side. Like I've met some of them, yeah. Yeah, they are. They're badass people. Some of them are in L.A., like... Um, uh, Uncle Scotty, who runs ITTS. Like, there's some people in LA, uh, like LA Metro. There's some people who are really switched on. Uh, but that's not the majority of cops. Um, you know, when, when I was training also, we, uh, when we would notice that usually the cops in the classes were, n- in general, nowhere near as proficient as the civilians. And the reason for that was they were just kind of there checking a box, right? They're just like, well, I got to do my annual qualifications and like like they go in they don't care the civilians that are there are into it um and they're trying to be proficient whereas the cops are just trying to check a box uh not all of them obviously uh but anyway these guys these guys to me carrie they just looked like larpers and as i was thinking that they just looked like larpers someone sent out a meme with this picture and it said (laughs) it said meal team six and i can't get over that I think it's hilarious. Oh, uh, meal team instead yes. of seal team. I get it. I think it, I don't know <laughs> why funny. I think that's so funny, but I think it's hilarious. Anyway, meal team six here. They uh, meal team six descended upon a, uh, a a bar called Big Daddy Zane's in West Odessa on Monday, and they brought their MRAP and and their LARPers to uh, to go attack, shut down this bar. They came with guns drawn. To arrest bar owner for violating the lockdown orders, even though Governor Abbott has announced a softening of the lockdown in Texas with both, most businesses able to open this Friday. Now, I, there were some uh, private civilians kind of standing there with firearms, I guess, to like in solidarity uh, with the bar um, standing outside, but um, they didn't do anything. They just uh, stood down basically when the there yeah and and i'm I'm not saying they should have done anything necessarily but uh here maybe we can even i'll see if i can play this video a little bit Uh, i don't i don't have the sound enabled because we don't need it where is it or do i have the sound maybe i do so there they are there's their mrap there's there's these dudes coming over here and these these were the guys standing outside wow right they, they weren't doing anything. These guys standing outside. Wow. Just to be clear. They're just standing there. But barking orders in their their LARP vehicle. Look at the guy up here. Look at him. He's on the top of the vehicle, training his weapon. So uh, I put that carry in the category of thugs. That was my thugs category. One of my thugs categories. Thugs. Uh, items Ugh. for the day, which uh, really well pissed me off. I real it is well. It's funny you called them warpers because I think the people who take any anybody who would take the opportunity to react that way to a bar opening, they want a larp. It's fulfilling some type of role oh, totally. playing fantasy for them, totally. like a thuggish authoritarian. Yeah, that's what they're doing. You're right. That's a great word, larping. Um, yeah, fortunately, the cops here have been much better. Although, here's a bit of local news. Maybe I said this already. If I did, excuse me for re- repeating myself. Oh, no, I don't think I have because I learned it since Monday, our, our podcast on Monday. So we were able to open up here in my, the county I'm in, um, I think at 25% capacity uh, on Monday, May 
or whatever day May 2nd was, I think. And so one of the local bars here, which is one of the most popular bars here, and they, they're also, they sell clothing and they're, I think a little bit of food, but um, it's the place, it's like the local watering hole. They opened up and one of the city council members here, who's a huge SJW, called the police on them because she counted the number of people who were, a lot of people here hang out. Um, you can, it's an open container County. You can walk around with wine and beer and you can sit in front of the restaurants and drink wine and beer. And people usually sit outside, like people go inside too, but they usually sit outside on the picnic tables and stuff. She counted the number of people outside in front of the bar and then said it, it was over the 25% capacity and that they weren't socially distancing. And she called the freaking cops on this and she supposedly has a she has an axe to grind with this bar anyway i've heard that she says that this bar um just basically caters to the white male patriarchy <laughs> she ignores the <laughs> fact that people of color drink beer there as well um but she's a local like big mouth sjw and now and then i found out she called the cops on another place as well but she's like picking and choosing which places she's calling the cops on it's the ones that she doesn't like She's not calling the cops on the businesses she likes. And, uh, I mean, I'm not going to be hanging out at that bar, but those people who want to be there should be able to hang out there. And it, and it just went to show, like, what you were talking about. Like, you don't need to go into the um, to the national level to find little Napoleons. You can find them in your local city council. You can find them. And she did everything she could to prevent the openings. And then once the opening happens, she's, she's out there on her phone, like little Karen, counting people and calling the police. And um, it made me very suddenly very interested in my local elections. And I want to do yeah. everything I can to help unseat her in the next election. Run. Like, she's also the, yeah, she's also the one who, I don't think I ever told you this, but um, you know how uh, I told you about the woke bookstore here? The super yeah, like bookstore. the women and women's first version in, in your home. Kind of. Yeah. yeah. So she's one of the reasons why that bookstore is super woke. And she apparently this is hearsay, but I've heard she went out and put, she printed up all these flyers that were like Mexican people are welcome at the bookstore. And then like took Mexican them to people? neighborhoods that she thought. Yeah, that well, I'm I'm paraphrasing the language, but oh. she took them to what <laughs> she thought were primarily Latino neighborhoods, and were it was like passing them out, and so woke, and it's a white woman, of course. And what's funny about that is just just like with other forms of SJW wokeness with white white allies, it's like why wouldn't Mexican people be welcome at the bookstore? What it's such a weird. Right. This is 2020, lady. What is wrong with you? It's, it's like, like when they say girls very... can do math too. It's like, yeah, I don't. Yes. <laughs> Why are girls you saying can this? Do math. Yeah, of course we can. <laughs> Why are you saying that? Then it puts the idea in your head that we can't. Why are you going out and saying, "Welcome, I come in peace, Mexican people." Like, <laughs> please, you are welcome in the bookstore. Yeah, just like everyone else. What? You know, Carrie, you're it's also so allowed weird. to vote. Anyway. Yeah. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> By the way, Ninja Kitty's pronounced today as uh, Carl Mankey. I don't know how to say it. Uh, the, he's the barber who lost his license in Michigan. By the way, uh, I wish he lived here because um, I need a haircut really badly, and I'm avoiding my wife uh, who wants to cut my hair. Um, and I've, I've tried <laughs> to find people, uh, but no one here in California, no one wants to, no one wants to cross the, the, 
the local police. Carrie, I'm glad. Can I, I just and I want to pause for a second because I'm glad you brought up this local, uh, the local stuff because it was something I wanted to talk about. Uh, and I, I apologize as if this is a little bit of a rabbit hole, but um, <laughs> remember the movie V for Vendetta when there's that scene of Adam Sutler? He's like the he's the dictator basically in the UK in this movie. And there's this scene where he's um, he's starting to lose control or he's worried about losing control. And he's yelling at his cabinet members over a television screen, actually. He's yelling at his cabinet members about um, how they need to remind, how, how they need to use fear to keep the people in line. And he's, he's talking about how he wants to use the media to do this. And he's, he's, livid and he's yelling we need to remind them why they need us and he's like shaking and right um it's the actress john hurt actually who i think also played winston in 1984 uh, coincidentally but um he's yelling about why they need us and and obviously in that movie he's presented as an authoritarian dictator which he is but i think people too often um they think of authoritarian dictators being only the Adam Sutler types and that thinking blinds them to the authoritarian attitudes in the communities around them they think that Adam Sutler has really little in comp in 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 um in common with their local school board member or their local city council member because um you know the local city council member isn't doing things that grand, right? They're not, not that horrible. They're not that much of a dictator. They're just doing something little. Um, and I want to, I, I wanted to talk about it really quickly because I, I want to get people to start really thinking of small dictators, the same as Adam Sutler's. And the reason for that is, um, the way I think the way to think about authoritarianism or one of the ways to think about authoritarianism is, um, <clears throat> is really kind of like maybe uh, an infection or something. Or like, imagine, so imagining noticing you didn't, imagine like not noticing you had lung cancer until it would like, until you stopped breathing. And then like, oh, I, I guess I have lung cancer. Like it's kind of too late at that point. If you're only noticing Adam Sutler once he's in power, it's too late. It's too late. Adam yeah. Sutler starts with your city council. Um, yes. And... <laughs> The, the the way that I w like would rather think about authoritarian ideology is as maybe like an infection. Like you can have like a little infection, maybe like a little pustule or something disgusting on your body, and you can ignore it if you want to. That's fine. You can ignore it, and you can function. Um, but it grows, and it grows, and eventually it'll start to hurt. And if you don't do anything at all, uh, eventually like it'll it'll start to shoot into other parts of your body and eventually you'll die of sepsis or whatever it is like eventually you your whole body's infected and and at that point it's kind of too late and your local representatives your city council representatives your school board all that stuff they are little tiny infections of the same bacteria that Adam Sutler is it's the same bacteria um and that bacteria is this fundamental acceptance of collectivism on some level. It's this idea that, well, just a little bit of control, just a little bit of violation of rights in this case, and usually it's justified for the thing we talk about always, the public good, just a little bit of control for the public good in this case, um, just some sensible rules, they're just sensible. Um, and, and, and by the way, they might be, right? Maybe a reasonable person would totally agree with you that these are sensible rules. Uh, 
Uh, and these are rules that might even exist in a voluntary society. Like you might have um, a rule in your town, like no strip clubs in this area of the city, right? That rule might actually exist in a totally free society. You like, you might have people buying property together collectively and saying like, hey, let's agree that in this area, these are our rules. And they all unanimously agree on it. And you actually have that in the US in some places. You've got, uh, I didn't Disney have some community outside of Orlando where they had these super strict HOA rules. And when you buy a house, like those were the rules and you know, and your, uh, your property title is encumbered with these rules. And so when you sell it, that encumbrance goes with your property. There's nothing, um, there's nothing, uh, that's a violation of the non-aggression principle when you do that. That's fine. There's nothing, that's not a problem. Um, so you can have local rules if you get everyone to agree. Um, but the minute you start enforcing those rules on people who didn't agree, who were there before, and you've changed the rules or whatever, now you're, you're, you've accepted collectivism as your operating tenant. And once you've uh, accepted that as a principle that's valid morally, um, you can't really fight it. So when that Karen goes off and she moves from the city council to your state rep, well, you've already ceded the moral ground to her that a little bit of control for some public good is worth it. And there's no moral argument against her anymore. And so now what happens is she increases the scope and the depth of her need to control because, of course, yeah. the public good scope increases. And so, I mean, and that just works its way up all the way until he, she becomes Adam Sutler. And at that point, um, the scope and control is enormous. And I think it's, and, and therefore all this other stuff becomes, quote, justified uh, because, um, because, you know, the, the problems are bigger and the fear is bigger. And, I, you know, I actually could go on, but I feel like I should pause just for a moment, Carrie, because I've been ranting do you want do you want, want me to pause i'll pause no no i'll, just, I'll jump in if i have something to add <laughs> okay i'm trying to i'm trying to forget i'm trying to not rant too much but uh this so this this also got me thinking about coronavirus so one of the ways that um one of the ways that these authoritarians all, all authoritarians everything from the little council member karen to adam sutler they use fear, and we know about that with Adam Sutler. We see it in movies. We know that they use fear. Um, and But they do it on the local level as well. So with this barber, right? Well, what if the barber's unsanitary? Shouldn't we license the barber? Wouldn't it be horrible if you got an infection from the barber? It's a small fear, but it's a fear. It's a little bit of a fear for a little bit of control. And the bigger their ambitions are, the bigger fear they need, right? <laughs> um yeah. Adam Sutler can't run a country making you afraid that barbers should be licensed. Uh, like that's not – but here's what the globalists have been using for a while. Their boogeyman to date has been climate change. And climate change is an awesome freaking boogeyman. It's a beautiful fear tactic. First of all, um, it's global. It's a global catastrophe. If you're a globalist elitist, you need a global fear. Climate change is a great one. Um, it's got oblique references to science, right? They can throw out some science jargon at you. They can say a bunch of government paid scientists, uh, agree, um, which is not science. The predictions are apocalyptic, right? It, they're, they're apocalyptic mm -hmm. predictions. All humanity will die. Life on earth as we know it will cease. Ah! It's these, and the requirements for this are like the, the requirements to fight it. The prescription is sweeping cataclysmic, always anti-freedom 
changes that are necessary. It's it's a it's a golden goose for them ideologically. Climate change is a beautiful thing for authoritarians because it justifies everything. Uh, but COVID might be better. Um, COVID actually, <laughs> COVID might be better. And here's yeah, why. It is. Yeah, it's more it real. Number one, it's more real. People actually have died of COVID. No one's died of climate change. People have died yeah. of COVID. Uh, the fear has some respectability to it. It's still not what they're saying, but, you know. Um, but even better, COVID justifies, like, look, with environmentalism, it's like, you can't use this light bulb. You have to use that light bulb, and you need to drive a Tesla instead of a, you know, Hummer. Okay, you can control businesses and that kind of stuff, and it's devastating. But with COVID, oh, you can't stand too close to people. Can't shake hands. Can't leave your house without a mask. The level of control. Oh, we need to see your data about where you've been going. We need to track your phone footprint to make sure you haven't been mingling yeah. with the other people. The the level of control that COVID justifies. Uh, it's amazing. It, it's ama it makes climate change look like child's play. It is. So it's an authoritarian wet here. dream. Yeah, please do. So here's this. You're connecting the dots on something that I saw this week, which I'm sure you saw too. CNN is doing a town hall about COVID featuring scientists <laughs> and experts. Yeah, I did see this. And they've, okay, and they've added the little climate change girl, Greta, to the panel. Now, for anybody who hears that at first, you're like, why is the climate change kid? I mean, first of all, why is she on a panel about climate change anyway? But secondly, uh, this isn't even her realm, right? Why is she on a panel about COVID, the climate change kid? This is why. This is, a, this is a good pivot. You're connecting the dots on what the global fear is. You know what? Climate change wasn't working well enough. Look at what just fell into our laps. Right. COVID. Yep. Oh, well, Greta, people like Greta for climate change. Let's make her talk about COVID. Yeah. Yeah. So suddenly and, and she's... Look at the way the blue check marks are... The blue check marks are falling all over themselves on Twitter, all excited about it. All the celebrities and politicians and the <laughs> right. media, and they're all Patricia Arquette and all those people. They're all excited. Oh, Greta needs to be there. She's the <laughs> voice of the generation to come, you know? In or fairness, like, in it, fairness, Greta is just as much of an expert on COVID as she is on climate change. That's funny. That's really <laughs> funny. She's just as much of an expert. Um, it's propaganda. If you yes. look back through history... It, it, it's easy to find examples of how authoritarian regimes have used children to push their agenda. Look at the Nazi youth. Hitler youth. Hitler youth. Yep. You know, look at what they did with kids in China where they had the, the I'm blanking, but didn't they use children there too? Yeah. There's the red scarf thing. And there's like, there's a whole bunch of programs yes. um, designed around getting kids in China uh, to um, fall in line with communist propaganda and be active members of the communist party and all that stuff by the way marie uh marie uh busky said sent you five bucks for your election campaign carries so just uh pause and thank your election <laughs> contributors i don't know if i that's really sweet marie thank you i don't think i'm gonna uh run myself but i'm certainly gonna throw myself into helping the person who's running against this woman and uh yeah and yeah. in the other, like now I'm very, I never used to be interested in local elections and 
it all makes sense, better sense to me now why those are important and maybe more important than the national ones. I think so, because if you had, you know, we can go back to these LARPing sheriff dudes, right? If you had a sheriff in that county who was um, loyal to the Constitution, as sheriffs do swear uh, an oath to, sheriffs actually have quite a bit of power. He could ignore all of these laws if he wanted to. Um, he doesn't have to. He doesn't have to enforce these laws. He doesn't. He won't get in trouble. The sheriff won't get in trouble if he says, "I don't care that that bar is open. Stand down." He, no one yeah. will. I mean, he might not get reelected, but in this case, uh, he probably would get reelected. I mean, he's you know, people. Some people like authoritarians, but you know, I, he, there's nothing stopping him. He can't get. He he can't get in trouble legally. He has no obligation to enforce these laws. Uh, he all he has to do is say, "I don't think this is constitutional, and I won't enforce it." Uh, the end yeah so it's very important yeah yeah so that may well, i mean so, sheriffs so in particular you, very important yeah so that anyway i just wanted to mention the greta bit of news because that puts it in better perspective i think if people are confused about why they're using the climate change kid they're turning her into the covid kid it's because it's the same agenda this, this is a better fear this is a better, it's like you said, it's a better boogeyman. Yeah. And it makes people who like, you know, I've had conversations with friends who, who I love, who are kind of on the wall about what I would call authoritarianism, who are kind of like, well, I'm they're, they're like struggling with whether or not they support mandatory mask laws and stuff like that, you know? And right. it's right. fear. I get it. I totally get it. There are, afraid and if you're if you're passively watching and con you're, you're basically absorbing the legacy media's narrative all the time like even if you're not actively reading and, and if you're not seeking out alternative sources you're like passively soaking in this narrative um i was talking with a friend last night about about just okay so this is a friend who's on the left but who only recently started diving into issues, like really trying to read a lot and listen to a lot of different voices on the left and the right about stuff like Russiagate, China, this whole coronavirus thing, um, and, and just trying to figure out what all the facts are so that he feels informed and his opinions have been changing. And he, we were talking about it and he was like, you know, I used to be just kind of like passively absorbing the narrative. Like you see all the headlines, you don't click on the articles. You've got your echo chamber that you're in online, and th these are the this is the accepted narrative, and also it's the cool narrative, right? Um, like uh, if you don't hate Trump, you're not cool, like you, that kind of thing, and you you Absolutely. just kind of absorb it yeah. because you don't you're not actively involved in figuring out things for yourself, and you're just kind of absorbing what you, you trust your echo chamber, you trust your tribe, you trust the media, and you don't even have to read a lot about it to feel like you know a lot about it and to have opinions right and so we were kind of talking about that and I don't want to get too far off subject but it made me it made me think about something because he said he was like you know um uh when I first met you I don't even remember this but he was he said you know you were you were you said something once. I, I he said he said something about the Russia Russia collusion and he said that I he said that I said 
do you really believe that you believe the Russia collusion narrative? <laughs> and, uh, he was like, and, and it stuck with him. I didn't, I didn't remember it, but it stuck with him because it was so, I, I guess maybe one of the first people. No one asked that who, question. Who ever. Said, who, <laughs> yes. No one ever asked that question. So, and also I'm someone he respects. So he was like, wow, I, is there something there that I shouldn't trust? And so started looking into it, you know, and, um, one of the things he said is people who are passively like, well, I'm paraphrasing, but people who are passively just kind of accepting the narrative without even, they, you don't even realize how much propaganda is fed to you, how many times, how many impressions. If you think of advertising, right, and marketing, we used to talk about when we were marketing comedians and musicians and songs, like you want to get, I can't remember, it was something like at least five or seven or something impressions. Like somebody has to hear about that song in different media, you know, seven times before they remember it, like before it becomes something that sticks with them. If you just get one press hit, then it's, it's not very um, uh, useful. But if you have several and so they hear about your song here and then they hear about it here and they hear about it here. And now it's made an impression because they've heard it enough times. Well, think about how many impressions people got with Russia, with the media. With, and you don't even have to be plugged into the media every day. You get those impressions. Millions of them. Absolutely. Millions yeah. of them. You wouldn't get that many impressions if it wasn't true, right? Like, that's just kind of the way, yeah. our, that's, that's how, how propaganda works. And that makes sense, and by the way, like, socially. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. I'm just saying so for social animals, that, that's and reasonable, yeah. Social animals, yeah. You're just kind of absorbing things from your envi environment without, like, looking at them critically. So, um Again, not to get too far off subject, but one of the things we were talking about was how, from his perspective, he was like, you know, a lot of the people who are critical of the Russia hoax, the Russia collusion narrative, um, they, they, even if they get, they probably get written off as alt-right or right-wing, when in actuality, they're further to the left than the people who are calling them that. And I was like, yeah, I think that's true. If you look at um, progressives, like actual progressives, and we did a video, if, any, if you guys are interested, I got to interview my friend Kyle Abernathy once, and it was a, one of my favorite interviews because Kyle's a progressive, and we kind of just delved into what are the differences between like actual progressives and liberals, neoliberals, and SJWs. We covered all four categories, right? And, um, and so if you're an actual progressive like my friend Kyle, if you're an actual progressive like Jimmy Dore or um, this group Our Revolution, which split off from Bernie supporters, um, if you're part of Our Revolution, if you, if you, Democracy Now, I would put in that category, is actually progressive. Dennis Kucinich, actually progressive. Those folks have a lot of overlap with the people I would call actual liberals or like just center left. So people like me, people like Tim Pool, people like Dave Rubin. And those folk, they all have a lot of overlap with people I would call center-right, like Mike Cernovich, Steve Bannon, uh, Dennis Prager. They're all saying the same thing on some issues. They have wildly different um, perspectives on the way the best the best way to address world problems. They have they're coming at it from a different lens, but they overlap on some key issues on the truth the facts. They may have different opinions on how to address those things, but on the facts, they're getting it right. They all agree that the Russia collusion was a hoax. And these are people who are progressive, liberal, and center-right. They agree on the facts. 
they're criticizing the same legacy media narrative. They're all criticizing it. But so what happens is those people who on the left and on the right, I'm sure, but on the left, the ones who passively absorb the propaganda and never look into things and just go with the flow and, and trust the legacy media narrative, they look at people like Jimmy Dore, who's a progressive and who's criticizing the Russia hoax and who's criticizing China and who's criticizing the Democratic Party. He spends so much time criticizing the Democratic Party because he's a progressive, because he's further to the left than the Democratic Party. Does that make sense? And so, but they look at those people and they, because they believe the legacy media narrative that, that there's only two sides and those sides are you agree with the legacy media narrative and you're super smart and you're a good person or you're all right and evil and stupid. And so they don't, they mistake the Jimmy Doors of the world. They mistake the Dennis Kucinich's of the world, the progressives as all right. Isn't that crazy? They they also mistake the center left people, the liberals like like um, uh, Dave Rubin. He's been called far right. You know, they mistake Tim Pool for being and they mistake and and they lump them all in together with the Mike Sarnoviches and the Steve Bannons. And, and those people aren't even far right. Those people, I would say, are center right. They call them all. It's like this catch all either with us or you're alt right. Like, it's kind of crazy. But it, yeah. it, when you think about it, I don't know. It's just. It, and it is, isn't it weird how like easy it is to have to get in, in otherwise intelligent people or just kind of like you just passively buy into the propaganda. You're not really interested in le- looking deeper. Um, it, you know, that was me for a long time. Psychologically, it's very comforting. It's like it's super comforting because it makes everything seem simple when it's not. It makes everything seem uh, black and white like okay, you're either with me on the cool side and you hate Trump and you believe the the legacy media narrative or you're an evil person. <laughs> like, yeah. anyway, I don't know. That's I, what I, I bring with that this morning. I don't think People they... Kind of ranting, rambling. Yeah, I don't, I don't think they actually... I don't think they actually believe that uh, those people are on the right. I think they... they you got to remember that mainstream people pushing mainstream narrative are pushing a specific narrative and they can't complicate things too much to push that narrative. They need to just have uh, truth and enemy and they need those 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 categories need labels. And truth is everything Chris Cuomo says or whatever CNN truth uh, and enemy and enemy uh, alt right is just what's used to smear enemies because alt right sounds uh, scary. Uh, people think of uh, guys in hoods in the KKK or crazy Nazis with alt right like those are the images that get conjured up and so they don't right. I don't think they actually think Jimmy Dore is on the right they just say that because it's the no, label no, that I, they can use No no I I, I disagree well you I think they actually I agree think with it? You, the people who are pushing it Yeah here's the difference the people who are pushing it don't believe it the people who are pushing the mainstream era don't believe it I'm saying the people who passively the people their propaganda propagandizing to the large mass of people who believe it those people really believe it like my friend he believed it he sent our podcast to, to a friend of his who's also very intelligent and that friend said that looks like an alt-right podcast right but, but to, again really i don't think that. they can define alt-right even alt-right's just a label that they use i know um, um but it's just it's just a 
propaganda they're swallowing. I'm sorry I'm talking over you. Yeah, no, no, you're you're right. By the way, um, Blackbeard in Super Chat says people forget uh, Hitler was charismatic. Yeah, and, and Stalin, by the way, very charismatic. Uh, they were able to drum up a lot of uh, support, and people loved to go to their rallies, and, and they could really get people excited. Um, but yeah, I... Thank I, you, Blackbeard. Uh, yeah, uh, I, I don't... I don't know. I don't... Um, I don't. I don't think they. I think what this really is is we, we've talked about how my metaphor for IQ is basically the engine of your car, right? And so you can have a Lamborghini <laughs> IQ, yeah, like that, right? But if you're driving to, if you're driving off a cliff because you have bad philosophy, then you just drive off a cliff faster in your Lamborghini than you do in your Ford Pinto, right? Um, so it doesn't help you if you're going the wrong direction. <laughs> Uh, the other part, I'll just try to layer onto this analogy a little bit. Uh, cars need drivers, and I view a lot of this as intellectual laziness. Um, in and I'm like, I get that it's it's tempting to be intellectually lazy because it's easy to just listen to the news or someone else spout an opinion, even us, right? And just be like, oh yeah, that makes sense. I'm done. Like I don't need to analyze it anymore. I'm not even going to look for anything that contradicts it. I'm not going to investigate. If I see any contradictions, I'm just going to label them and is the bad guy label, whatever that label is, and uh, and not bother to look into them. Um, and that's just, it's just intellectually lazy. And that means you've got a driver who's asleep at the wheel. So it doesn't matter if you've got a Lamborghini again, you're not going anywhere. You're just kind of like, you know, bumping into the side of the road because you're sleeping. Uh, you're not driving your Lamborghini. So, um, like that it's five like year old who can drive your Lamborghini much better. <laughs> what? I, I was going to say, it's like in Pee Wee Herman's Big Adventure when he falls asleep at the wheel. <laughs> I, you know in that what? really nice car. I, again, I, I don't know Pee Wee's Big Adventure. Uh, <laughs> you got to watch Pee Wee. Not knowing okay. your Pee Wee references. <sighs> but yeah, I, I, I think this is just, I think it's <laughs> he, just intellectual laziness. He misses laziness, all the all. road signs, Carter. Well, hey, I'm, I'm just building on your analogy. Oh, okay. He falls asleep at the wheel. And he misses all the, he's like falling asleep and all the road signs start, he can't see the road signs that say danger and there's a cliff and they all start to, he's not getting the signs and he's going the wrong way. It's a good analogy. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, you know, I, one anyway. of the, one of the Twitter accounts that I follow is a guy who's like crazy. By the way, I know you're mentioning lefty organizations and people in chat are like this democracy now is, is like woke SJW, which I think is true. Uh, but um, wait, 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 wait! I gotta address that. Wait. Well, but hold, well, it doesn't matter. Okay. I, I just want to okay, like. Okay, go ahead. I, I just want to point out yeah. that like, I'm not saying that. Well, well, I don't think Carrie is saying that she agrees with all of these people when she's talking about them. Like, I follow like one of the, my no. favorite Twitter things is Lee Camp. Re, I think it's called Re, Lee Camp Redacted Tonight or whatever it is. He's a crazy far left lefty, but he cares about the truth with respect to a lot of this stuff and like talks about real issues and and is willing to go against the mainstream narrative for a lot of things and so you can get information i didn't mean to interrupt you here what were you going to say about democracy yeah now? no i was going to make the point you made which is that um so when i was uh sjw I, I used to listen to democracy now very regularly but i will say this about them i i I haven't listened to them in a while and I just started listening to them again. And I just assumed they may have become super woke like the ACLU and lost their way. But I'm happy to report there's still actually what I would put in the actual progressive category on a lot of things. They may also have 
super woke influences and do super woke episodes, but they do episodes challenging the Ru- Russia collusion narrative. That's, oh, that is not something the legacy media and the mainstream media and the woke media does. Like they do, they challenge a lot of the stuff. They challenge, they criticize the Democratic Party. You know, they, they, um, they do have some content that even, even though they have, I'm sure they have other woke content, but they're going to have some content that if you're on the right, you may be surprised that you agree with them on some things. And I think that's good. I think we need to find like the places where all these different groups overlap because I like, I like the place where, where someone like democracy now overlaps with someone like Steve Bannon. That's super interesting, right? Like, but that to me says, okay, this little area is, is probably where the truth is because they're both saying this, right? And they're such different perspectives. Yeah, um, I mean, partisanship. So obviously, whenever you have partisans, they're not actually fundamentally cared about the. They don't care about the truth really. Um, they care about their partisanship, right? Um, but when you have two yeah. totally opposing partisans who have an overlapping thing, it's it becomes awfully suspicious. It's just like, well, geez. Uh, you're both saying this thing now. Maybe it's just because it's both in your agenda, and that's possible. But it certainly does. Uh, it does mean you know maybe there's something there. I guess it's a, at least worth looking into. But um, I don't know, <sighs> Carrie. Uh, I guess I don't know. Did we we? Uh, I <laughs> I have my four categories. We just kind of went off on an authority. Let's get back to the it categories. Was good. It was good. No, I liked it. It was good. It was a good uh, diversion. Um, and it was related to the thugs, right? Because um, we do yeah. have authoritarian thugs. Uh, by the way, can I just say something and about... Hey, one other go thing. Ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, again, about these places where we overlap and everything. One of the things I like about our audience is that we have people who are center-left, center-right. You know, We have pr- true progressives who are in our audience. We have um, people who are you know, on the Trump train who are in audience. Like, I really love that because the goal of unsafe space is to be able to have conversations with people who disagree with you, maybe, maybe even fundamentally on the way to address problem, certain problems and, but, but who, who want to get at the truth through conversation. And so whenever I find a place where two very different, um, people from two very different point of view, like have an agreement, that's the that's like the good stuff. <laughs> like, isn't that? That's 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 what I think this is all about. Is we need to build. I call it a radical center. <laughs> like a radical, like all of us who have so much more in common on the important things. Like, I just think it's so important for us to quit buying into this false dichotomy that they're creating, where it's either you're super woke and super globalist and believe in the believe in statism and believe in authoritarianism and go with the legacy media or you're super crazy alt-right um white nationalist you know uh you know stupid whatever those those two extremes i'm like that is not true you don't have to fall into one of those categories and so i i feel like we need to be strengthening all the places where we overlap and finding those common points of view um, I'm, I'm rambling. I'm going to peter out now. Your turn. <laughs> <laughs> I well, I'm the only the only area in which I'll push back on that, Carrie, is uh, 
I, uh, you know, I don't want to go down the, the fallacy of the Aristotelian mean. Like, they have defined what right and left mean, and both right and left are massively authoritarian and anti-liberty. And so the idea that we need to gather in the center in some radical way is, to me, the wrong conversation. We need to get off the plane. That, that's, not the, that's not the line we should be on. And I would I rather agree. be having a I conversation just... about individual rights, the philosophy behind it, mm -hmm. actual freedom and liberty. And most of those people actually identify on the right more, but not all of them. Some of them are uh, kind of identify lefty and are that direction. It, it does happen, but I don't think we can have this conversation about like, hey, let's just all like compromise between right and left. Right and left both suck. Let's That's just make I that mean. really clear. Okay, so we should define terms. Because okay. when I say radical center, it's just a catchy turn of phrase. I know. Uh, well, okay, that's fine. Radical center. It doesn't mean we're in the center. I mean, because in that group, I just put actual very far left progressives. You know what I mean? Did I freeze up? Uh, for a moment, but you're back. You're back. Uh, I, okay. I, and I heard you. I assume everyone else heard you. You just, your video froze for just a second. Um, yeah, I just, you know, I, I guess my, um, the reason I'm pushing back a little bit is I, I just... I, I want to stop thinking in terms of partisanship and about being in uh, one camp mm -hmm. or another and really think in terms of uh, philosophy and uh, get back to the philosophical foundations of, what, of, of the U.S., which are much more around enlightenment yeah. values of individualism and uh, rights to private property, right to free speech, um, you know, individual ownership, uh, self-ownership. And, uh, you know, the problem with, with both the progressives and the Steve Bannons is they only believe in those so, so far as they are, can be helpful in promoting their particular partisan agenda. Neither one of them actually uh, believes in it. I can prove it. Do you want to argue? I disagree. Give yeah. me one example. <laughs> Give me an example. How can you possibly disagree? Anyone on the left that doesn't that believes that there should be taxes is fundamentally anti-individualism. Okay, well, I'm not prepared to have this argument with you. I, I mean, I'm right. I mean, but, I mean, we'll but we, we can like prepare. sure. But I mean, if you, if you want to get taxes, right? So you're not you're not adhering to individualist ideology. That's that's fine. You're on the left, and you've said you're on the left, which okay, is fine. We, but yeah. but but you're not you're not having the and I would rather have the but conversation so with you little... about individualism instead of you're on the wrong side of the aisle because I don't want to pull you to the right I want to I want to pull you off the plane and try and convince you if I can that that you're failing to be uh, coherent to the principles of individual liberty that you espouse maybe I'm wrong but that's the well, conversation I'd like to have conversation. But to build bridges and community and to build what I was calling the radical center, it, it's almost like we come, we could butt up against this quite a bit, Carter. You, we both agree, right, that we've talked about the elephant and the writer. The elephant, mm -hmm. this is Jonathan Haidt for anyone who's new to our channel. We talked about Jonathan Haidt a lot in his book, um, uh, what is it? Righteous the Mind. Righteous Mind. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so in that book, he talks about your, your, emotional mind being the elephant and your rational mind being the rider the, that rides the elephant and how the elephant's really in control and the rider justifies things post hoc like after the fact 
is like, oh, let me just let me rationalize what it is that I just really with my gut and emotionally. Right. Usually that's the way people operate. Yeah. Usually that's the way you can try and change that. But usually that's the way. And so it's really important to even if you have all the facts at your disposal, people aren't swayed by facts. You have to learn how to um, it's you need to have the facts there you need to be your opinions need to be based in facts but if you want to persuade others you have to learn how to speak to their elephant and to um make the emotional argument and to paint the story and paint the picture um so now some people don't have the facts a lot of sjw woke activists for example they don't have the facts they just have they just speak to the elephant they just speak they paint the story they speak to your emotional animal and they're good at doing that it's better to have both because then you'll beat them have the facts, have the rational part, but then learn how to talk to the elephant too. And so a lot of times when you and I are talking, I feel like um, maybe where we're disagreeing on some things is more of like, like, so everything you just said, we just read Animal Farm, right? For people who are in book club. What you just said is hard to paint on the side of a barn. Like, so I, like I, 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 I think we're having a tactics discussion. I, I'm okay. not saying I'm not. Are this we, is okay, not. Okay. Yeah, I don't. I don't. I don't even see what you're saying. How what you're saying really relates to what I'm talking about. I'm saying we get to frame okay. the discussion. The way to frame the discussion is to not keep it in the frame of right to left, but to start framing the discussion about philosophy. I could be wrong about my conclusions, okay, well, but we should have the discussion on the plane no, of philosophy, not on the plane of right to left or the line of philosophy. We should get off the graph paper that just says right to left. And start having, we should frame the discussion in terms of philosophy. That's all I'm saying. Um, well, I agree with that. Okay. Thumb, thumbs up. <laughs> so, <that's... laughs> Well, how dare you agree? <laughs> <sighs> By the way, there okay. was a thing in chat earlier that I want to address. People were saying, uh, asking about sheriffs and cops and like some cop got fired for saying something like, uh, sheriffs are not the same as police, like, Police chiefs, I think, can just get fired from mayors. Like, they're not... Police chiefs have to fall in line with the politicians. Sheriffs do not. They're elected. Sheriffs do not have to fall in line with any politician. Um, Sheriffs are elected. They swear allegiance to the Constitution. Um, Keith in chat was actually saying, sheriffs could go prevent cops from enforcing unconstitutional laws if they want. I have actually heard rare stories of this, where sheriffs have stood up to federal agents... Um, trying to enforce laws that the sheriffs believe were unconstitutional, and the sheriffs won. Um, the federal agent would like call back to Washington and be like, "How dare you? You don't. I'm I'm from the ATF. How dare you fight me?" And be like, you know, the sheriff would would stand up, and the agent would call back to Washington, and you know, get a call back that was like, "Actually, yeah, the sheriff has a right to kick you out. Sorry, you can't you can't do it." So sheriffs actually do have quite a lot of uh, power. Or- uh, Marie wants me to write something on a barn, uh, but I don't know what she wants me to write <laughs> on a barn. Uh. <laughs> I like our audience. I know. I, okay. you know, and I know. By the way, I know Let's everyone doesn't agree. Some people like your... disagree with arguments, and that's fine. We're happy to have the discussion. I'm, you know, so uh, I'm not saying you have to agree with me or Carrie. So, uh, all right. So wait, we Let's did get thugs. Get your categories. Yeah. I know. I've, I even have more thug stuff. I'm just going to stick with thugs for a minute because some of the st- thug stuff really bothers me. Did you guys see... Well, yeah. Did you see this, Carrie? Um, do you see this mom in a subway in New York? 
I don't think so. This no. is heartbreaking because her freaking kid is with her. Um, let's take a look at your benevolent leadership in New York City. So she apparently, so by the way, that she didn't, as far as we know, she didn't do anything. She's not fleeing a robbery scene. She, there's no battery. She wasn't wearing her mask properly. And then I think actually put it on. I can't tell. It's hard to see because it's not clear. So here, she, she's here. She's arguing about her mask. You can't really hear what she's saying anyway, so I don't mind talking over. So she's walking. She's got her kid with her. There's her kid. There's, she's got her mask on now. See? Looks like she has her mask on. It's hard to tell. She argues. The guy touches her. He, the cop puts his hands on her first. She resists, and wow. here's mom going to the ground. Poor kid standing there. The cops are just like moving the kid out of the way. I, I imagine the kid is terrified uh, to see this happening to mom. One, two, three, four, five cops at least against this woman who wasn't wearing her mask properly, I guess. You can hear the camera guy saying she's got the mask on. She's got the mask on. Oh, there's another cop. So maybe there's six. Or is that not a cop? So yeah, this is it. I mean, it basically, there's lots of bleeping after this, but nothing really happens. Um, this is so disturbing. Yeah. So this is this is your America. This is this is New York City. This is what the Karens want. Uh, this is what the left wants. The left, ironically, the left that we think of that used to be all about questioning authority and, you know, the, the hippies from the 60s calling cops pigs and blah, blah, blah. That left is gone. They're in charge now, and the left, the left is running the Stasi, and the left is running the, the police. The left wants the police to be their agents of power, and that's, your, that's what you're going to see, and I think we're going to see more and more of those videos. Uh, to me, that is uh, infuriating. Yeah. I don't even know what my to say about it. My caveat would be, because, well, because of the conversation we had earlier, my caveat would be that's what the mainstream, the majority of the left wants now. You still have those progressive voices like Jimmy Dore. I guarantee you would be speaking out against this. Sure, you sure. Still have, they're just not. It's just that the, that that little part, the real progressives, they don't have very much voice anymore. And who do we uh, not, who do we call the left? Like, yeah. what do we call them now? Because I, I don't, I, I'm I mean, willing I, to not yeah. call them the left because I don't think they do match the old, the hippies of yesteryear. Uh, so, what do we call them? I mean, Little I, woke SJWs. I don't know. Actual progressives, but yeah, I guess. But I mean, I don't. know What do we call the left? The, the, the radical left, whatever uh, they are. The authoritarian left. What the mainstream the authoritarian left authoritarian now? Authoritarian left. Yeah, they're the control left. The authoritarian left, and they are currently. The mainstream, they hold the power. They may yeah. not be, I think a lot of the people who follow along with it, like we were talking about earlier, are passive. But the ones who are the leaders and are putting out the messaging and every, the, the leaders of the party, the leaders in the media, the leaders in academia, they're all authoritarian left. I it's think we sad. should, I, someone in chat just said, call them fascists because that's, they are, default username said this. 
I, you know what? I actually think we should call them the fascist left default username. Absolutely, because uh, they have used the word fascist to describe anyone that disagrees with them when, in fact, they are fascist. It's, fascism is this. That's what fascism like. They are the fascist left. They want a state with absolute power, absolute control, and the guise of democracy and the guise of some private ownership of business. They want all that to be an illusion. At the end of the day, they want the state in charge. So, um, by the way, Keith, Keith the Hack Guy says, uh, thank you for the super chat, Keith. He says, shut down the police. Even if one life is saved, it will be worth it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, that's a rational argument, right? If one life, is, how many lives does it take? They're, they're non-essential. I think the, the police are non-essential. We've talked about this before, Carrie, but look, I'm not saying there are no cops who mean well and who uh, want to support the Constitution and join the police force to do uh, to uphold what they view as uh, and I know some, more liberty-minded government. I, Go ahead. Right, and I know one of them who said he would not enforce this stuff, and I've right. seen some of them on camera say that, ones that I don't know. Yeah, there was there actually, I think, a guy in San Jose. Who, yeah. Yeah. Here, who yep. said said stuff San like that? San Jose police chief said, mm -hmm. "Yeah, he's not on board with this." Right. However, and I, I know I know a lot of <laughs> Blue Lives Matter type people get mad at this. That's not most cops. It may have been most cops a while ago. It may have been that you know maybe most older cops care about the Constitution and that kind of stuff. I don't know. I'm not a cop, and I'm not close enough to that community, but. Not not the new cops. Not anymore. That's not what cops are anymore. Most cops are just doing it for a job. They don't give a crap, and they will enforce whatever crappy laws their leaders tell them to enforce. And you can see, as evidence in this video in New York Police, none of these, of those four or five cops, none of them are saying, guys, guys, stop. We shouldn't be doing this. No one. No one. They just, they want to be the one to put you on the boxcar. If boxcars are inevitable... They want to be the one loading the boxcars, not getting on the boxcars. And that's the and they just want a paycheck. That's it. Do you remember the Stanford prison experiment? Yes. Um, Do you want to explain I don't it have, I can't pull it up on my phone because I'm using my phone to record. Can you remind just people who may not be familiar with it, the details of it? I don't want to get them wrong. I remember that they had to stop the study because the group of people that they made into prison guards began to get off on it and enjoying it and they started enjoying it and they started um torturing yeah the people so, that were prisoners yeah i can i can go over it i might be um this is from memory so uh if i'm wrong about a few uh points please point them out in chat to me and i'll i'll check it out but uh from my recollection the stanford prison experiment was um <clears throat> they they wanted to test whether people would follow orders uh, and e even if those orders became uh, pretty clearly immoral. And so what they did was they hired actors to pretend that they were test subjects. Um, and, they hired, and they had people come in to do the study, and they had someone in a, I think they were wearing like a lab coat and had a clipboard or something like that. I don't remember. Um, and I think they even knew that... Uh, 
they even knew that the test subjects were not guilty of anything, if I recall. I think they even knew that they were just like they knew arbitrarily that. assigned, like group A and group B. I don't remember what the assignments, how the assignments happened, but they weren't moral assignments. So the person knew, the, the, the person actually being tested, who thought that they were testing other people who were actually actors, they thought the other people were just randomly assigned to these groups. So there was no like moral, like these, you know, the guy's not an axe murderer or anything, right? And they were told they had someone standing next to them, also, uh, I guess, the either an actor or the, the actual tester people, you know, the, the psychologist doing the experiment, in a clip with a clipboard and a lab coat or whatever. And they had the actors hooked up to electric shock apparatus. And the uh, the they were told, the, per, the subject was told, hey, um, uh, Turn up the shock, like do this, turn up the shock. I forget what the impetus for turning up the shock was, but you know, turn up the shock, shock the person in this way. Okay, now shock them, shock them in this way. And they would, and the person, the actor would, uh, was trained to kind of increasingly complain about like, ow, it's a little bit painful. Ah, please, please stop. And the person on the clipboard was, would be saying, no, no, don't, don't stop. No matter what they say, uh, don't worry. It's not, it's not lethal. It's not a problem. And, um, they wanted to see how many people would continue to, quote, torture the actor uh, even well beyond, like, death. I think there – I don't remember, but I think there might have even been indications on I, the thing of, like, danger. And they just kept doing it and kept doing it. And it turns out most people will just basically torture someone to death if someone in a lab coat and a clipboard is standing next to them telling them what to do, telling them to do it, even though there's no rational justification for it. They don't know any reasons for it. They believe there are no reasons for it. It's all, quote, for science or whatever it is. And, um, and of course the actors would, you know, yell and scream and cry and be like, you're hurting me a lot. And most of the people would, uh, would not stop. Uh, that's, that's basically just the, a, just that I remember. So just one correction. Cause I looked it okay. up. Oh, there weren't actors. They were all volunteers. So they were all students, but student volunteers. And they put half of them in the prisoners group. By the way, we have no. We have no uh, video of you, by the way, just FYI. Oh, oh, hold on. There we go. Okay. Oh, you're there for Is it there back? You are. Yep. Okay. So they weren't so actors. They, they were all part of the experiment. They were all volunteer student volunteers. Half were prisoners and half were prison guards. And a bunch of the ones who were assigned to be prisoners in this study ended up leaving before the study was over. Wait, but were the prisoners were the prisoners actually? Were they, but they weren't actually hurt, right? They were told to act, right? Um, or am I confusing it with another study? I might be confusing I it. Think it's been a while. You're confusing it with another study, yeah. So they were actually um, injured? I'll have to look it up. I thought see. it was a simulation. I'll, I'll read it to you right now. Male participants were recruited and told they would participate in a two-week prison simulation. The team selected the 24 applicants whose test results predicted that they would be the most psychologically stable and healthy. The participants were predominantly white and middle class. The group was intentionally selected to exclude those with criminal backgrounds, psychological impairments, or medical problems. They all agreed to participate in a 7- to 14-day period, and they received $15 a day. Um, the experiment was conducted in a 35-foot section of a basement of Jordan Hall in Stanford Psychology Building. The prison had two fabricated walls, one at the entrance and one at the cell wall to block observation. Each cell was six by nine feet and contained only a cot for the prisoners. 
In contrast, the guards lived in a very different environment, separated from the prisoners. They were given rest and relaxation. Oh, I'm thinking of a totally different study then, Carrie. I'm thinking of a totally different study. Yeah. Sorry about that, everyone. Whatever I just said was not the Stanford prison experiment at all. (laughs) So this is it. So 12 of the 24 participants were assigned the role of prisoner, um, while the other 12 were assigned the role of guard. Um, Zimbardo, this is the guy that was running the study, took on the role of the superintendent and undergraduate research assistant took on the role of the warden. Uh, he designed the experiment to, in order to induce disorientation, depersonalization, and de-individualization in the participants. The researchers held an orientation session for the guards the day before the experiment, during which guards were instructed not to harm the prisoners physically or to withhold food or drink. In footage from the study, Zimbardo can be seen talking to the guards. You can create in the prisoners feel feelings of boredom and a sense of fear to some degree. You can create a notion of arbitrariness, that their life is totally controlled by us. By the way, isn't that interesting? Arbitrariness? That's what mm-hmm. these laws are. They're arbitrary. It's, right. it's, it's like, you know, you can stay open. You can't. This You can go to work. You can't. We're arbitrarily... I'm going to restrict some people's by the rights way, and not other people's rights. By the way, uh, they right. mentioned the other one. That was the Milgram experiment. The one I was thinking of was the Milgram experiment where oh, the shots okay. were uh, released. But they mentioned it here. I'm looking at the Wikipedia article that you're reading now about the prison experiment. Uh, uh, but okay. go ahead and keep summarizing just Got so it. that everyone knows. Okay. So um, you can create a notion of arbitrariness, that, is, that their life is totally controlled by us. I mean, that's what's happening to us right now. Wait, arbitrariness. Yeah. Our life is totally controlled by these edicts, right? Um, by the system, you, me, and they'll have no privacy. We're going to take away their individuality in various ways. In general, what all this leads to is a sense of powerlessness. That is, in this situation, we'll have all the power and they'll have none, In quote. That's what the guy running the study said to the guards. The researchers provided the guards with wooden batons to establish their status, clothing similar that, to that of an actual prison guard, and mirrored sunglasses to prevent eye contact. Prisoners wore uncomfortable, ill-fitting smocks and stocking caps, as well as a chain around one ankle. Guards were instructed to call prisoners by their assigned numbers, sewn on their uniforms, instead of by their names. The prisoners were, quote, arrested at their homes and charged with armed robbery. The local Palo Alto Police Department assisted Zimbardo with the simulated arrest and conducted full booking procedures on the prisoners, including fingerprints, printing, mugshots, etc. Prisoners were transported to the mock prison from the police station where they were strip searched and given their new identities. So they went on to make this as realistic as possible, take, taking the volunteers who were prisoners and yeah, skip to the results here like a little bit. Prisoners. Okay, so results. Um, let's see. Um, after On the second day, the prisoners in cell block one blockaded their cell door with their beds and took off their stocking caps, refusing to come out or follow the guards' instructions. Um they set up a privilege cell in which prisoners who were not involved in the riot were treated with special rewards, such as higher quality meals. This makes me think of the um, the way that right now they're giving people monetary rewards for calling in and reporting on their neighbors for yep. not social distancing. Um, I have a friend who was telling me about in Los Angeles, um, a, a gym there that was not open. It had been closed down, but the People, the, some of the people who worked there were allowed to go in and use it and to be in there occasionally by themselves, right? Neighbors, because Los Angeles has is one of the places Garcetti said, snitches get rewards. Right. Neighbors called them and the, poli- the police showed up because there's financial reward. 
if you turn somebody in, if you turn in a business that's still operating, the friggin' police showed up at the gym and they were like, we've yep. gotten reports from people that you're still operating. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Um, anyway, they set up a privileged cell for those who fell in line. Uh, after only 35 hours, one prisoner began to act crazy. Um, some prisoners were forced to be naked as a method of degradation. Um, where's the part about, okay, here we go. Zimbardo argued that the prisoners had internalized their roles since some had stated they would accept parole, even if that would mean forfeiting their pay, despite the fact that quitting would have achieved, achieved the same result without the delay involved in waiting for their parole request to be granted. Um, he argued that they had no reason for continued participation in the experiment after having lost all monetary compensation, yet they did because they had an internalized prisoner identity. This, again, this is this strikes me as so similar to what we're... We are internalizing a type of prisoner identity right now. Not the same thing as this experiment. I'm just saying you have people who are okay now with the government saying... You can't leave your house. If you do, you have to wear a mask. You can't go to work. Um, if you do, if we do allow you to open your business, these are the rules you have to follow. And people are becoming conditioned to this. They're becoming, they're mm. accepting this new role, like in the same way. It's, it's like a psychological experiment almost. Um, yeah, read, uh, the, read this say, part where they argued that they had internalized their roles. Um, you read it. Uh, okay. Um, Zimbardo, Zimbardo argued that the prisoners had internalized their roles since some had stated they would accept parole, even if it would mean forfeiting oh, their pay. Oh, that's what I just read. Oh, is that the part you just did? Okay, yeah. sorry. Uh, oh, wait, that's prisoner just read, yeah. 416 is what I meant. Sorry. Um, yeah. Prisoner number 416, a newly admitted standby uh, prisoner, expressed concern about the treatment of the other prisoners. The guards responded with more abuse. When he refused to eat his sausages, saying he was on a hunger strike, guards confined him to solitary confinement, a dark closet. The guards then instructed the other prisoners to repeatedly punch on the door while shouting at 416s. The guards said he would be released from solitary confinement only if the prisoners gave up their blankets and slept on their base mattresses, which all but one refused to do. Um, Zimbardo aborted the experiment when early when Christian Christina... Maslock, a graduate student in psychology whom he was dating and later married, objected to the conditions of the prison <laughs> after she was introduced to the experiment to conduct interviews. Zimbardo noted that of more than 50 people who had observed the experiment, uh, Maslock was the only one who questioned its morality. After only six days of a planned two weeks duration, the experiment was discontinued. Discontinued. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? They had to, um, they had to end it early. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, you know, no, it, this sorry. also mentions this uh, Hawthorne effect here in this article, and this is something that is, uh, I, we probably don't have time today to go through my, the privacy, so I, one of the, one of the things on my list, my four things, we're, we're still in thugs, one was spies, which I, I haven't talked about too much, but, um, you know, there was a um, uh, Bentham, was it Jeremy Bentham, I forget his first name, uh, a philosopher who who dreamed up this From idea lost? of a. I'm kidding. Uh, probably doesn't lost use philosopher names for all of the uh, a lot of yeah. the characters. Yeah. Um, yeah. He he uh, he came up with this idea of a panopticon. I think it was called. Um, and mm -hmm. this was uh, this prison where you would uh, basically the guard tower could um, look into every prisoner's cell at any time. 
Um, but the prisoner couldn't tell if he was being observed or not. And so uh, what Bentham noted was that this would force the prisoner to act in a way as if he must always be under observation because he doesn't know whether he, he could any, he could be under observation at any time. And he doesn't know if he is at the moment, so he has to act like he always is. Um, and uh, I think it was Foucault, actually, who pointed out that this is how modern society keeps people in check. Um, and that was yes. way back then. I mean, much different than e even now, right? Um, but... Yeah, this is the, uh, there is this effect where if, if you think that you might be caught or if that there's some punishment, you behave, you behave very differently if you think you're under surveillance. Um, and this is what they want. They want um, compliance. They want obedience, conformity, submission to their will. That's what these thugs want. And one way to accomplish this is to have... Uh, to have, you know, COVID-19 rules about, well, yeah. you know, don't let me catch you without a mask. Don't let me, you know, you never know that that Karen over there could call in and, and report you for being on the beach um, or for being too far away from or too close to whoever. Um, you know, since we're yeah. since we're sticking with thug stuff, I got I got another one that you're going to love. If you hadn't okay. seen the New York City one. Carrie, uh, you hadn't seen the New York City Cops one, so you're going to really like this one. Hold on. That's the other video that I had before playing. Let's see. Okay. Um, <laughs> no, this, this, maybe this category could be no good deed goes unpunished uh, in a leftist authoritarian state. Okay. New York is charging Samaritan's Purse, which is a charity, income tax. After the charity worked for free. I'll just read some highlights. What? Yeah. Samaritan's Purse has no expectation of receiving a single penny for the weeks of work they did in Central Park to combat the coronavirus. But now, New York Governor Andrew Cuomo is asking them to pay. Earlier this week, the Reverend uh, Franklin Graham, president of the nonprofit organization, said they're the ones who called us originally, referring to the officials with the Mount Sinai Health System in New York City. We didn't call them. They called us. He continued, and we agreed to go, and we have not charged them one penny. All of our services have been paid by God's people. Okay, so let's just set up the thing here. They, uh, New York called. They said we need help. These good Samaritans, literally, uh, is that, I guess that's their name, <laughs> uh, Samaritan's Purse. Good Samaritans go, and they go to help. So they go to New York. They're not from New York, by the way. It turns out that if you work in New York, you owe income tax. So even though New York lawmakers and hospital executives asked workers to come from out of state to help in the fight against the coronavirus, they will now have to pay state taxes, even on income they might have made from their home state while they were temporarily living in New York. If wow. you work in New York state for more than 14 days, you gotta pay income tax. That's the rule. I'm not gonna read the rest of this article, but... Uh, that's the rule. That's that insane. is now. I have a. Do you think that Chris Cuomo will ask his brother about this uh, on CNN? Because uh, obviously <laughs> he's hard hitting, hard hitting news. Uh, not giving his brother any, you know, not not pulling punches. When will this be asked? Well, has uh, I don't think he's going to. Has he asked him about Cuomo forcing nursing homes to take COVID positive patients? I mean, that's a death sentence to nursing homes. New York State re required nursing homes to take COVID patients. And it wasn't the only state that did that. 
I don't. You know what? I've um, I've intentionally avoided the the brothers uh, reminiscing hour on CNN, so I don't know. But I I bet he hasn't asked about it. Um, but you know, this is the look. These these states like New York and California is another one. Uh, their tax agencies are vociferous, and uh, they are just like they're monsters. They are literal monsters. They will come after you. Uh, you worked in our state for 14 days. You owe taxes from your home state. You were paid in your home state, but you were in our state for 14 days. Um, and this is this is what I'd like you to think about in terms of taxes specifically. Okay. Um, if you own yourself and you own your own time, why does someone else get to take away the product of your labor on a whim? You didn't you didn't consent to that. What's the how is it different from theft? What if you used well okay, well what if you use public roads and electricity <laughs> and things to get there? Why well, why? First, What's the answer? First of all, you pay for electricity. Uh but um okay. and you pay for roads. But uh this is this is a this is a devil's bargain and, and this is one of the ones that really freaking burns me up and makes me angry. You're not allowed to build private roads. They forcibly took over building the roads, built them, and then said, aha, now you use our roads, therefore you owe us money. Fuck you. I didn't ask you to build the roads. The same with public schools. Yes, we didn't ask you to build the roads. The roads would get built anyway. Communities would get together and build roads. And frankly, uh, people would pay for the maintenance of roads. Uh, Very little of my property tax goes to, I mean... Anyone ever knows where I live and visits me, you'll see from the road in front of me. Very little of my property tax goes to paying for the road. That's for freaking sure, right? It goes to a lot of other stuff, right? And and income taxes don't pay for roads usually. Uh, I guess they do a little bit on the state level. It depends. But often infrastructure is paid locally, often through property taxes. It depends on your jurisdiction. Um, the state of New York, uh, state of, I mean, in this particular case, it's obviously extremely uh, unfair. But look... The, the idea that I'm providing a service to you that you didn't ask for, and I, like I've put up a barrier in your way. It's like it's it's literally like I I dug a ditch, built a bridge over it, and to get home you have to cross the bridge. Aha! You need to pay me. I'm like, I, why are you like? You just <laughs> set yourself up there. No one asked you to do this. I would be happy if taxes went away and the government stopped paying for roads. I would. I guarantee that enough of us in any neighborhood could get together and pay for nicer roads much more cheaply collectively. And we would do it voluntarily. People join HOAs, people pay for voluntary things in their neighborhoods, we would pay for roads. And at the state level, uh, you know, I thought all of you environmentalist types, I thought all you leftist environmentalist types thought there were too much driving. Wouldn't be a good thing if roads went away? I mean, so roads go away. I guess if you don't pay for roads, they should go away, right? I mean, you're complaining about all the the carbon (laughs) emissions and the traffic and like, oh, look at all this stuff. Well, government enabled all that. That's all government. If you claim that roads wouldn't exist without government, then global warming wouldn't exist without government. So put that in your pipe and smoke it. (laughs) Okay, I will. I'll come Sorry. back to you. I just, by the <laughs> way, this is, you know, about this, this fear-mongering crap that the, that the authoritarians always do because um, they need it to, com- uh, to maintain control. There's a guy, well, no. 
I, w- I thought about this this morning. I think there is only one example in all of h- recorded human history where there actually was an event, not an event, there was the threat of a real apocalyptic event. Once where that threat was actually real. It's not climate change. It's not COVID. It's not any of this other crap. I think there's only one time where was that it, threat was actually real. And I think it was global thermonuclear war. The, no, I think it was yeah, global thermonuclear war. Were, yeah, during the Cold War. During the Cold War. I don't mean one instance. I mean one category of threats. And that was global right. thermonuclear war during the Cold War. And that was brought to you by your local government. That was brought to you by governments. We didn't. I didn't have a stockpile of nukes, and neither did you. We weren't threatening to obliterate each other. It was governments that were doing this. And they paid for those nukes with your tax dollars. Or in the case of the Soviet Union, uh, they just stole your labor directly. Uh, But, you know, I don't know if people realize how close we came. There was an instance, I think there was a lieutenant colonel in the Soviet Air Force who uh, he was obligated to report that the Soviet satellite's defense system had detected incoming ICBMs and he was obligated to report it and 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 he should have said theoretically should have it depends how the narrative of the story but he should have said these are real like this is what the system is reporting and uh, at the time the Soviets had a policy in place that they would strike immediately immediately uh upon the launch of missiles uh and th- and he didn't report it he was like well I don't think this is real. And he turns out that it was a glitch in the computer and it wasn't real. Uh, but, you know, that dude, <laughs> that dude probably saved all of humanity. Not, I mean, not to be uh, hyperbolic or, you know, make it too grand, but governments were got us this close to the extinction of the entire human race. And so it's pretty rich for governments to stand up now and say, you need us to save you from these pandemic. Oh, there's a cataclysmic event that could happen. Without them, there would be no threat to humanity on a mass scale. Only governments yeah. have the power and evil. The means. And like the, the means and the lack of morals necessary to wipe out civilization. That's a that's a purely that's purely the function of a government. Bill Gates can't wipe out civilization. Even if he's an evil vax guy, he wants to poison people. He can't get everyone. You know, Bezos will have his clan. They'll fight. There's no, like, you can't, he can't actually force you to take his vaccine. Like, it takes the government to do this kind of crap. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. Someone says the Black Plague was apocalyptic. Kind of, but it didn't, but it was limited geographically, kind of. I mean, it wasn't going to get the whole population of the entire world. A global thermonuclear war would have literally wiped out every living thing on the surface of the planet, probably cockroaches and some small animals that have survived. But, and, you know, and maybe the guy from Dr. Strangelove would be in a bunker. Uh, but I, who knows? But, like, basically everyone dead. Um, and that takes the government. And uh, I, I just, it pisses me off when people act like, how will the government save us? The government has killed more people than you could possibly dream in your worst nightmare. Yeah. Do we have time to talk about this article in The Intercept about Which Google, one? Eric Schmidt, and um, I posted it. Uh, on, I should have Schmidt. shared it with you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, go to, go to my Facebook page and look at the, I think it's the, the second most recent article I shared. All right, everyone, some some real-time Facebooking here. (laughs) (laughs) Card is going on the book of face. Um, I got to log into Facebook. It's sort of a long read. I'm sorry. By the way, I've been appreciating Telegram, by the way. People are in Telegram now, which is great. Oh, yeah. If you guys don't know, we have a Telegram 
feed, which is where you can follow us where we just post the updates like we do on Facebook and other places like here's a video. And then we also have a chat where there are a lot of follow people who follow the show and who are in chat now, probably who are, who are in there talking with each other and sharing information and links and videos and stuff. It's really cool. Okay. So I have, is this the article you're talking Telegram. about? Uh, let's see. Um, is it, is it it's this the intercept one? screen? Yes. New deal. New screen, screen, new deal. This is a really good read. I don't know this. Under cover of mass death, oh Andrew Cuomo calls in the billionaires to build a high-tech dystopia. <laughs> of course he does. <sighs> do you, you want to summarize for us? I, like, I don't know. I'm not going to read the whole article. Over. Like, what, do you want, what do you want to summarize? No, read the first couple paragraphs. I want to see your reaction to this. All right. For a few fleeting moments during New York government, government, ugh, Governor Andrew Cuomo's daily coronavirus briefing on Wednesday... The somber grimace that he has filled our screens for weeks was briefly replaced by something resembling a smile. Okay. We are ready. We're all in, the governor gushed. Uh-oh. <laughs> I'm already scared. <laughs> <laughs> Is, Is he rubbing story. his hands? <laughs> was he rubbing his hands? Uh, did he have a white cat like, yes. he was petting in his lap? We are New Yorkers. So we're aggressive about it. We're ambitious about it. We realize that change is not only imminent, but it can actually be a friend if done the right way. Oh, my God. I'm scared. The, uh, the inspiration for these uncharacteristically good vibes was a video visit from former Google CEO Eric Schmidt. Oh, God. Who joined the governor's briefing to announce that he would be <laughs> heading up a blue ribbon commission to reimagine New York State's post-COVID reality with an emphasis on permanently integrating technology into every aspect of civic life. Uh, the first priorities of what we're trying to do, Schmidt said, are focused on telecare, remote learning, and broadband. We need to look for solutions that can be presented now and accelerated and use technology to make things better. Lest there be any doubt that the former Google chair's goals were purely benevolent, his video background featured a framed pair of golden angel wings. <laughs> of course it did. <laughs> okay, Carrie... Um, I'm sorry, but uh, now I have to talk about some other stuff that I... I this is just going to be a long okay. show. It's just going to be a long show. We're going to have to it's deal with it. It's going to be a long show. It's fine. Uh, You're going to have to let me go to the bathroom at some point, but let's do a long show. Okay. Because <laughs> I have this in my notes. I'm going to read this from my notes. Because I want to talk about privacy for just a minute. Um, in 2009... This is uh, from an article in the, uh, in the, from Electronic Frontier Foundation, which is a great organization on many fronts. I don't think I agree with everything, but 90%, a lot of what they do is awesome. Um, when asked during an interview, this is in 2009, when asked during an interview for CNBC's recent Inside the Mind of Google special about whether users should be sharing information with Google as if it were a trusted friend, Schmidt responded, quote, if you have something that you don't want anyone to know, maybe you shouldn't be doing it in the first place. Mm. Google's attitude, there is, an, uh, there is an excellent TED Talk by um, the guy, I think his name is Glenn Greenwald. I don't remember his name, but he's the guy who uh, one of the yeah. guys reported on uh, Edward Snowden's disclosures. By the way, and, I think he runs The Intercept. Oh, does he? Yeah. Oh, awesome. So, like, we just overlapped, and I didn't even realize we were overlapping. Uh, anyway, 
uh, Greenwald's awesome TED Talk. Um, in the TED Talk, uh, he talks about the importance of privacy, um, and he talks and he talks about why privacy matters. And uh, and he has this since we read 1984 recently. I'm just gonna read you the quote that he reads from in this TED Talk. This is Winston speaking. There was, of course, no way of knowing whether you were being watched at any given moment, how often or on what system the thought police plugged in or any individual wire was guesswork. It was even conceivable that they watched everybody all the time. But at any rate, they could plug in your wire whenever they wanted to. You had to live, did live, from habit that became instinct in the assumption that every sound you made was overheard and, except in darkness, every moment scrutinized. His point here was that um, tech doesn't act, big tech doesn't actually have to be watching everything you're doing. Um, just the possibility that they could be watching everything you're doing is enough. And um, this is directly it's like related. Said, it's, Go ahead. It, let me just make one comment. It's like what you mentioned before. It's a panopticon. It's a digital yeah. panopticon. He even talks about the panopticon, I think, in his uh, TED, if I recall. I think he, he talks about it in his TED Talk. But this is related to something that happened this week, the Widen Amendment to H.R. 6172. So H.R. 6172 is a, was a um, um, renewal of the uh, USA Freedom Reauthorization Act of 2020. It's the renewal of the Patriot Act, basically. Patriot um, for Act. those freedom lovers in the audience, which I hope is all of you, uh, the Patriot Act is uh, one of the worst pieces of legislation ever foisted on the American people, ever. And by the way, a lot of shitty Republicans love the Patriot Act, uh, a lot of them, uh, which is why um, I know a lot of people view themselves as Republican or conservative that watch the show and some of, some some on the left. But uh, you guys don't have a good track record with respect to privacy uh, at all. And um, the Patriot Act is horrible. It um, it authorizes a lot of... Uh, a lot of spying and snooping on American citizens, which I won't get into the details of which, but I will talk about the Wyden Amendment, which was not passed. Uh, a, I think this guy was a Democrat, Wyden. I'm not, I don't remember. I think he is. He, he proposed that, uh, I'm just going to read, uh, that they add a paragraph that says that the government may not seek an order authorizing or requiring the production of internet web site browsing information or internet search history information. So he wanted a carve out that said in the Patriot Act, Patriot Act, hey, you can't just go look at people's website browsing information or internet search history information without a warrant. Obviously, if you have a warrant, you can do all this stuff. So we're not talking about warrant authorized stuff right now. We're talking about without a warrant. Without a warrant. And all he said was, hey, maybe the government shouldn't look at your website browsing information, which by the way means your website cache, right? All that stuff. And the internet search history, that's cache, right? No, didn't pass. A lot of Republicans voted against it. Democrats, I think some Democrats voted against it. Didn't pass. Uh, so the government has given themselves uh, the authority uh, unjustly. They don't have the moral authority, but they've given themselves the legal authority to do this, uh, which is just insult to injury. The Patriot Act is horrible enough. Uh, and, you know, I for those of you who view yourself as Republicans, uh, please... Hold your people to count for this because account for this because they, um, in fact, you know what? I'm so angry about this. I'm gonna do. Hold on. I'm gonna find. I have it here. And uh, by the way, you know what? You, since you read the quote, if people aren't connecting the dots, you know what Eric Schmidt, the former head of Google, said about 
about uh, carving out, you know, that, that the government shouldn't be able, nobody should be able to look at your, to be able to invade your privacy and to look at your browsing history. Um, he said, if you have nothing to hide, then why do you care? <laughs> right. Well, that's basically the quote I just said. It's basically the same quote I just uh, yeah, read, right? Yeah. I'm just um, bringing from... it back to that quote. Yeah. 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 So here's a list. Um, I'm gonna, we're just going to show this list. I'm not really into political activism normally, but this is egregious. <clears throat> All right. Here is a list of uh, the people who voted for and against this piece of crap. So this is uh, this is a vote on the Wyden Amendment. It uh, it did not pass. There were fifty three or fifty nine yays and thirty seven nays, and a bunch of people didn't show up. So actually, yeah, I guess the non show you know you can yell at the no no shows as well if you want. Um, so who voted against this amendment? This list of people uh, right here. I'm gonna I'll zoom in a little bit. See if I can zoom in on this. Hold on. Maybe you can see that a little bit better. Barrasso, Blackburn, Blunt, lot of lot of R's, bunch of D's too though. Collins, Cornyn, Feinstein. Of course she did. Uh, Jones, Kane. Isn't Kane your favorite dude? Tim Kane, your little crush. He voted against it. Marco Rubio voted against it. Uh, so Mitt Romney voted against it. Graham voted against it. Uh, mo I think mostly Republicans, uh, but but some Democrats as well voted against this. And people that showed that didn't bother to show up that maybe could have done good. Ben Sass didn't show up. Sanders uh, didn't show up. So thanks, guys, for uh, just not bothering to uh, protect our freedoms at all. Um, uh, I, by the way, I had to yeah. step away to get Tiger, but right before I left, I heard you saying, isn't Tim Kaine your favorite? I, I never liked Tim Kaine. What are you talking about? Tim oh, I, said, I didn't. Oh, okay. I knew you had a no. thing about him. I didn't know if it was a good one or a bad one. I couldn't remember. You've talked no, about Tim Kaine. No. I never liked him. Okay, okay. Um, not that I remember. My memory is pretty bad. I don't remember liking him. I His thought back in the day you were like, oh, no, I was think I'm thinking of Howard Dean. I'm thinking of Howard Dean. Oh, I love Howard Dean. Or I used yeah. to. Howard Dean I got them confused. Batshit now. Total SJW crazy. But I used to really like Howard Dean. No, Tim Kaine. No, I never liked him. And by the way, a little tidbit about Tim Kaine, which you probably maybe don't know. Um, I mean, I maybe people in our audience do, but the mainstream listeners don't know. His son was arrested. He's a violent Antifa activist. Like, where oh, I actually did know that about him. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I did know that. Yeah. By the way, um, Rib Rotgut, whose name I always love to say when it's in chat, uh, says Glenn Greenwald is a devoted SJW. That may be, but he's great on privacy. So, uh, yeah. Okay. Uh, so again, I can tell, he gets, know. I, I absolutely agree with Glenn Greenwald on some things and on other things. I couldn't disagree with him more. Again, look for the places where you overlap with people. It's, you know, don't take anyone. Why would you ever take anyone at face value on everything they say. And, and, and since when is a, a good thing to agree with someone on everything? I just, I really appreciate, like you said, on privacy matters, I think he does a great job. And yeah. this piece is it. You'll even see if you continue to read this piece, which I hope you'll read a little bit more later. He even says some things in there, which are kind of from a left perspective, but what he's ultimately saying, the big picture view on privacy, he's getting it right. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I want to, uh, 
this makes me want to talk a little bit about the um, contact tracing stuff because I uh, I talked about it last I think I talked about it last week contact tracing stuff a little bit um, did we I think we did Carrie I think I just a little crazy I think I explained how it worked generally uh, from a high level um, but let me see if I can get let me pull up an article that. Uh, Kind of walks through it at a high level, but it misses something. I, I don't think the article says what I, uh, one more thing, which I'd like to add to it. So you can you can look at this article if you just want an overall understanding of how the technology works, and then we need to talk about how it will work in real life. So uh, this is from PC Mag. Here's how contract tracing will work. Contact tracing is how Google and Apple are going to assist the government in figuring out. Uh, whether you have been uh, socially distancing properly slash are you contaminating other people uh, with your, your COVID nastiness. So uh, you have to update your operating system and opt in because obviously uh, it's going to pull some location information out. I'm just going to walk through this quickly, right? But if you do, you get a free song from YouTube. Well, okay. yeah, we'll talk about we'll talk about <laughs> that in a minute. Uh you install the app and you opt in on the app too. So a couple opt-ins, which which makes Apple feel good about themselves because Apple likes to say, we're not forcing you. Um, and then it kind of listens for beacons. I don't know if it uses, I, it does use Bluetooth uh, regularly. So it, so it uses Bluetooth to try and figure out where you are. Um, I'm not going to get into the technical stuff. I, I talked a little bit about how it does some of that stuff last week, but basically they try and keep your specific information hidden um, and other people's information as hidden as they kind of can. But uh, there's a, some stuff that happens in the cloud, magic that happens in the cloud, which uh, obviously some people do have access to uh, that can be used to see if you were next to someone who had COVID or whatever. And then you get your, your application then shows that you have COVID or don't have COVID or were around someone with COVID. You get positive match alerts and um, done, right? And then so third parties get access to this data, but they uh, supposedly they're quote, trusted health officials. Now, the, the thing I'd like to point out here is um, they will dance around a lot and tell you how much you don't have to worry about it because it's all opt-in. And uh, that is true. It is opt-in. However, uh, this is why culture is more important than, than the law. This is a great example of why culture is more important than politics. If you're in a culture in which store owners will not let you in the store... Uh, unless you show that you have the app installed and are clean, it doesn't matter what the law is. And why would store owners do that? Well, uh, you could have an environment in which, first of all, government agencies might start doing that. Local governments might start having rules about uh, who has to have, like what businesses that have crowds might have to do it at first, and then they'll slowly relax the restrictions if they ever relax the restrictions. Um, but of course, they'll offer incentives for people to do that. Uh, insurance companies might start offering incentives for this. Um, and so it's very possible that we will walk ourselves directly into China's social credit system voluntarily. Um, that uh, we have become a nation of compliant, uh, submissive uh, farm animals who will, with a smile on our face, enforce what the government legally couldn't get away with enforcing. And that's the big danger here. And if I were running uh, a tech company like Apple, not that I ever could, uh, but if I were running Apple or something like that, um, 
I'd like to, th- uh, I, n- I would not allow this, right? I was going to say, I'd like to think that I would not allow this. There's a caveat, which I'll talk about in a minute, but uh, I wouldn't do this. Um, I wouldn't do this because I can see how it could be misused. This is bad culturally. This is a bad thing to do. This shouldn't exist. Um, and you can make yourself feel better about it if you're an Apple exec all you want by convincing yourself that it's opt-in, but that's not how it's going to be used. It's, it's going to be used uh, by default, it's going to be necessary. And my caveat is, and this is one of the things, uh, this is one of the reasons I hate, hate, hate uh, regulations in the financial industry and uh, and uh, stocks and, and company regulations and stuff. Um, when you're Once you're a public company, the market is so distorted for public companies that once you're a public company, you've got, uh, you've got a bunch of shareholders that due to both free market expectations and distorted expectations because of regulations and a culture that's built around regulations and blah, blah, blah. Uh, publicly traded companies can't actually operate, generally can't operate uh, for the long-term best interest of the company or society at all. They have to operate uh, through uh, short-term quarterly metrics of, of earnings. And so sometimes... You know, if you're a CEO of a publicly traded company, I don't know that this is true for Tim Cook, but if you're the CEO of a publicly traded company and you do something that you don't think is good in the in the best interest in the long run for your company, even even if it's not for society, even if you think long term it's not best for your company, but in the short term it boosts the stock, you can get fired pretty easily. Um, it's because because the it's a culture of short sighted, uh, it's a culture of short sightedness, and um, it's just it's a horribly toxic, not long term planning culture. And uh, I think that it's hard to separate what of the, what part of that culture is natural and would arise from humans in a free market, and what part of that culture is directly descendant uh, from government regulations. Anyway, that's my caveat to that. But yeah, this is how this will be used. This will be used in this way. Um, so, also, Carrie, if you do, you have anything to add to that or no? Because I have one more article I want to share. Uh, no, but I want you to get back to the Intercept article at the end, or now, or whenever. Well, I can go back to the Intercept article right now. Do you want me to? Okay. Yeah, because he talks about contact tracing and stuff, too. Okay. I just really um, like hearing your response to it. And Oh, I thought you only wanted me to read the first couple paragraphs, so I don't even know. I want you to read just a little bit more. Because so the angel wings behind Eric Schmidt was where you left off. Oh, I couldn't. I mean, that was that did it for me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Angel wings behind Eric Schmidt. Uh, Okay. Just one day earlier, Cuomo had announced a similar partnership with the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, of course, to develop a, quote, smarter education system, calling Gates a visionary. Cuomo said the pandemic has created a moment in history when we can actually incorporate and advance Gates' ideas. All these buildings, all these physical classrooms, why with all the technology you have? What? What? Why? With all the technology you have? I don't... Like, why? Why are we going to public... Why are we going and having schools oh. with other people when we can do it virtually? Remotely. Is what yeah. <laughs> yeah, I see. Well, they love that idea until parents are like, yeah, but I'm going to turn off my internet connection. Uh, it has taken some time to gel, but something resembling a coherent pandemic shock doctrine is beginning to emerge. Call it the Screen New Deal. Far more high-tech than anything we've seen during previous disasters. The future that is being rushed into being as the bodies still pile up, treats our past weeks of physical isolation not as a painful necessity to save lives, but 
as a living laboratory for a permanent and highly profitable no-touch future. Yeah, this I'm specifically concerned about this. We've talked about this in the past. Um, Anuja Sonalker, Sonalker? Mm-hmm. I don't know how to say that. Uh, Anuja Sonalker, CEO of SteerTech, a Maryland-based company selling self-parking technology, recently summed up the new virus personalized pitch. There has been a distinct warming up to humanless, contactless technology. Humans are biohazards. Machines are not. This is Demolition Man, by the way. We're going to have sex by sitting across from people on couches and strapping <laughs> shit to our heads. It's uh, going to be virtual sex. <laughs> it's going to suck. Yeah, because why? Or not, why actually. Trust, like in Brave New World, why trust us to reproduce? We're biohazards. That we're going to be making babies in test tubes. That, that line is awesome. The biohazards yeah. line is awesome. Uh, do you want me to keep reading? Yes. <laughs> it's okay. Alrighty. It's a future in which our homes are never again exclusively personal spaces. Oh, that's nice. But are also via high-speed digital connectivity, our schools, our doctor's offices, our gyms, and if determined by the state, our jails. Yeah, yeah, of course, you know, that's good. Of course, for many of us, by the way, don't jails have surveillance? Yeah. Uh, of course, for many of us, those same homes were already turning into our never-off workplaces and our primary entertainment venues before the pandemic, and surveillance incarceration in the community was already booming. But in the future, under nasty or under hasty construction, <laughs> and that was my Freudian slip. I just wanted to say the word nasty. But in the future, under hasty construction, all of these trends are poised for a warp speed acceleration. This is a future in which, for the privileged, almost everything is home delivered, either virtually via streaming and cloud technology or physically via driverless vehicle or drone, then screen shared on a mediated platform. It's a future that employs far fewer teachers, doctors, and drivers. I can get behind fewer teachers. It accepts no cash or credit cards under guise of virus control and has skeletal mass transit and far less live art. It's a feature that claims to be run on artificial intelligence but is actually held together by tens of millions of anonymous workers tucked away in warehouses, data centers, content moderation mills, electronic sweatshops, lithium mines, industrial farms, meat processing plants, and prisons. By the way, basically not in first world countries. Uh, where they are left unprotected from disease and hyper-exploitation. It's a future in which our every move, our every word, our every relationship is trackable, traceable, and data-mineable by unprecedented collaborations between government and tech giants. Can I read this part? Please. Let me see if I can read it. If all of this sounds familiar, it's because pre-COVID, this precise app-driven gig-fueled future was being sold to us in the name of convenience, frictionlessness, and personalization. But many of us had concerns about the security, quality, and inequity of telehealth and online classrooms, about driverless cars mowing down pedestrians and drones smashing packages and people, about location tracking and cash-free commerce obliterating our privacy and entrenching racial and gender discrimination, about unscrupulous social media platforms poisoning our information ecology and our kids' mental health, about smart cities filled with sensors supplanting local government, about the good jobs these technologies wiped out, about the bad jobs that they mass produced. And most you of all, you can see the had... social justice here, by the way, that you can see in that yeah. paragraph a lot of the SJW. Crap. You can see that. You can see he's coming from the left. But again, I think his concerns about privacy are in the right place. Um, it's a woman, Naomi Klein wrote this. Oh, oh it's Naomi Klein. Okay, yeah. Um, so then read the next 
two paragraphs and then and then I promise we can stop unless you want to read more. The next two really get to what you were talking about at the beginning of this whole podcast. And most of all, we had concerns about the democracy-threatening wealth and power accumulated by a handful of tech companies that are masters of abdication, eschewing all responsibility for the wreckage left behind in the fields they now dominate, whether media, retail, or transportation. That was the ancient past known as February. <laughs> Today, a great many of those well-founded concerns are being swept away by a tidal wave of panic. And this warmed-over dystopia is going through a rush-job rebranding. Now, against a harrowing backdrop of mass death, it is being sold to us on the dubious promise that these technologies are the only possible way to pandemic-proof our lives, the indispensable keys to keeping ourselves and our loved ones That's safe. it. To keeping us safe. So this is what you're talking about at the very beginning. And this is a great article. If you guys haven't read it, you should really read the rest of it. Um, it gets really specific. But what he's talking about is what you were saying. Look, this is the best boogeyman. All of this stuff that we were having concerns about before, think of how many people you know who've thrown those concerns aside, who are like, yeah, you know, I care about liberty and privacy and security, but this virus is unprecedented. But, like, they're making qualifications that they weren't making before. Yep. Yep. Well, I, look, I, I do want to be clear. I'm not against a lot of this stuff if it's... Uh... Like, I wasn't against the convenience narrative for a lot of the stuff. I am against being ignorant about what you're giving up. Like, uh, I don't have an Alexa in my home, for example. We had Alexa for a while. Um, and it was mildly convenient. But uh, we, didn't like, we didn't like that it was listening to us uh, yeah. all the time. So uh, the first thing I did was plug in a... Uh, I have a, a little smart plug that I can turn off or on remotely with my phone, and the Alexa was plugged into that. And so actually, actually, I could tell. I could say, Alexa, turn off Alexa. And, and she would, like, turn herself off. She couldn't turn herself on because she had no power after that. Uh, uh, and I would have to turn her on with the phone. Um, and, you know, I used it for a little while like that. We're like, oh, I'm only going to put it on when I want to do something. But then uh, I realized it wasn't actually that necessary. Mostly I was putting it on because I wanted to listen to music. And I was like, well, I can just... I can just use my phone to press play and on the other speakers. Yeah. I don't need Alexa to do that. So, like, what? Why do I need this device in my house? So we we just don't have we don't even have it anymore. Or better um, yet, you better yet, you can put on a record. I don't know if that's better yet, but uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, look. So I, a lot of this stuff is convenient, and I'm not opposed to the convenience, and I'm not even opposed to. Uh, you know, giving information, if that's what you know you wanted, that you're going to do, provided that that information is uh, protected, which we can talk about in a minute. But, uh, you know, if you know what you're getting into, fine. Uh, I, but I do encourage people to make conscious decisions. And my conscious decision was no, no Alexa um, in the house. And, uh, you know, your phone, your phone has a lot of information. If you're actually targeted by a three-letter agency, they can turn your phone on remotely, even when you think it's off and open up the mic and send information like it's it's you are under surveillance so you just just be aware of all of that uh and and you have a right to not be under surveillance so um yeah you know, you know I, I was thinking about um somebody in the unsafe space chat on telegram it may have been it was telegram that phone you're the light phone no it was someone oh. talking about how they don't take their phone with them when they go out they leave the phone at home and i was thinking wow Maybe I should start doing that. Like, normally when I take it with me, it's for, because I think, well, I might need it for maps, or I might need to call someone, or I might need it to take photos. Well, why don't I have a digital camera? Well, I'm going to go back to using my digital camera. 
And, you know, I could take, take it with me and leave it in the glove compartment. Like, I don't need to take it out. I don't know. Yeah. I, just, I, I think I, we've that gotten so That's used not really to, realistic for a lot of people, right? Like, I guess so. if you run a business, you need to take your phone with you. If you have kids, you need to have your phone on you. Like, you can't not be some, like, yeah, you could go back to 1980 when you didn't have a phone, but yeah. that's not how the world works. So, okay. like, you know, if you've got, if you're a lawyer and you're in the middle of a case or you're working on some project for a client, you can't be like, sorry, I was out and didn't get your call for two hours. It's like, well, <laughs> then that. you're off the case. I'll hire a different lawyer who has a freaking cell phone. Um, like there's an expectation, which is, which is legitimate. Um, I do like the idea. So someone in Telegram shared that light phone thing. Um, I like the idea of it, but what I didn't see from the light phone website was any indication that they, uh, don't do any of the surveillance stuff. It was like, oh, we, we don't let you install a bunch of apps and it's a much, it's a muted experience and like, uh, okay, that's cool, I guess. But I would buy a stripped down phone for going out if it was also like, super secure right it was like okay well and no one has any location data on you and no one ha like there's nothing there uh you can get phone calls you can do texts maybe you know a few things like that that would be fine but uh i don't know you know what a friend of mine wrote something that i'm gonna i'm gonna bring up uh because it's related to this hold on for just a second so, I'm not going to read this whole thing because I just read an article. I don't like reading a bunch of articles. Um, but I'm just going to read the first couple paragraphs. Uh, by the way, this person's a lawyer who specialized in privacy. <laughs> uh, and I don't think people understand this, so I'm just going to read this. Privacy is today effectively illegal. She was writing this in November of 2017. Privacy today, privacy is today effectively illegal. On a typical day, we share information about ourselves with several third parties, internet service providers, social media companies, stores, banks, and more. Thanks to technology, this sharing makes our lives richer and more convenient. Enter the third party doctrine. This is a legal doctrine she's going to talk about. It says that once we share information from a third party, with a third party, once we share information with a third party, the Fourth Amendment warrant requirements no longer applies. In other words, the government may obtain whatever information we share with third parties without presenting a warrant based on probable cause and particularized suspicion. All your data belongs to the U.S. government unless there's a statute protecting it. She goes on to talk about some of this stuff, but uh, I'm not going to, we can go down a rabbit hole doing this today. But I want people to be aware that your Fourth Amendment rights, um, according to, uh, I guess, the Supreme Court and precedent, ha they've decided that if you share it with Facebook, the government doesn't need a warrant. Now, wow. Facebook might say to the government, you need a warrant. And Apple does stand up a little bit more. Um, but they might not. <laughs> right? Wow. They they could just ask and get it. It's crazy. Yeah. So uh, I just think that's important for people to, to be aware of because um, we like to think that we have a lot of privacy. You know, by the way, like if you have a home network, you should get um, you should get a VPN. Um, Proton, Proton has a VPN service. You can buy a flashed uh, router, uh, which is flashed for VPN 
firmware and you can like Proton, I think Proton has a VPN, a bunch of other people have VPNs. You can get a VPN at home because what's gonna happen, what's happening now already is large tech companies are collecting all of your data. All that porn you search for on your laptop, like they know, uh, they collect all of your cash. If you, um, sometimes, I'm worried sometimes cause like I get, we watched, um, well, I was watching a, uh, we watched Chernobyl um, and then um, I'm also taking a class in nuclear engineering for fun uh, on at MIT's from their online thing. And I've By been way, looking up sentences um, only Carter would say. I'm kidding. Yeah. <laughs> for Whatever. I find that if I keep my mind engaged technically, it, it's good for me. So no, I um, like it. I'm not making fun of you. I'm just having yeah. a moment of levity for fun. I'm taking a class in yeah, nuclear yeah, that's, engineering. That's fine. I like it. Uh, but uh, but so as a result, I've been I've been looking stuff up and like. I've been looking specific stuff up and sometimes I get interested in like a particular nuclear power plant. The other day I was interested in the one in South Africa. There's one in South Africa, the only one in Africa. Uh, and uh, it was occurring to me that as I'm searching for all this stuff, I'm like, you know, this is going so, like, this is probably, this is the kind of thing that would be like put into some file and like the NSA is going to, Oh, what's this guy? Why is he looking up this stuff? Like I'm going to get on some list. Um, and, uh, you know, one of the reasons I privacy do, is important, um, go ahead. Well, the only thing I can think of offhand that, I mean, you know, I, I collect and read a lot of manifestos because the same reason I'm interested in true crime, I'm interested in knowing what motivates people to do evil. But, you know, does that, I mean, I, am I on some list somewhere because I've downloaded manifestos from like the Unabomber and people? Probably. Right, right. I also, I thought about that back at the New Zealand shooter thing because I downloaded the videos and the mm. manifesto because um, I, I wanted to archive it, frankly. Uh, and uh, yeah, it, it, and the, the reason that privacy is important is, um, and and uh, Glenn Greenwald or whatever his name is, uh, he mentions this in his TED Talk, kind of. He doesn't say this directly, but... Uh, you know, we, he does say that like this idea that there's people who have something to hide and people who don't and like there's bad people or, or in the category of stuff to hide and everyone else is in the category of people who stuff doesn't have anything to hide, the good people don't have anything to hide. That's, that's patently false. Everyone's got stuff to hide. And, and he, his, his demonstration of that is like, fine, give me your passwords to all your email and, and whatever. Like people aren't going to do that. Right. Um, but the thing about it psychologically is, um, we work things out, um, not just mentally, but uh, verbally, through research, um, through action. We experiment with ideas and thoughts that uh, we may later decide are wrong. But when, but your your search history, for example, is really a rec that it's basically a pattern of your thought process. Often, if you're ever interested in a topic and you start searching for something. Um, and you know, the nuclear reaction stuff was a, a great example. I was like, well, how could this fail? How could it be sabotaged? But like, I'm just wondering, I'm not trying, I'm not doing, <laughs> planning to do anything, but I'm like, I'm wondering about this kind of stuff. And, uh, we need the freedom as humans to explore the dark side and the light side of our personalities. And in order to be able to defend against the dark side, we need to be able to know, okay, well, if yeah. I was bad, what are the things to do? Or, or is this okay? I'm, I'm contemplating this thing. I'm going to think about it and investigate it a little bit. And then maybe I'll come to the conclusion that actually 
fat thing's not okay. Um, but to uh, to have a population that's under that's basically their thought process is under surveillance is um, is a way to actually get people to self censor and it stifles their individuality and it and it creates a compliant submissive population because people start really worrying about big brother watching them for everything they do can i search for this on my phone will the nsa find out like when like you don't um that's not a free country that is a population of slaves that's what you are at that point you're a popular you're a slave um slaves don't have privacy from their masters free individuals have privacy that's all. Are you all gone? Did you go to get the mail? No, there he is. Hi, uh, Tiger. Tiger had to. Well, the, the mailman came earlier, and now the FedEx guy. So, sorry, guys. Always causing <laughs> anyway, problems. Always causing problems. Um, no, I agree with well, you. Well, I think it's a very concerning. I think the idea that if you don't have it, why should you fear? You know, if you're not doing anything wrong. Well, how about the fact that they set people up anyway? That's the other thing. Well, and, like, and the, the thing is, that you don't have to do anything wrong to have thoughts that you're embarrassed of or ideas yeah. that you're not fully thought out or things you don't want people to know or like, yeah. you know, you talk, you can, do you confide with your, in your spouse or your, your significant other or like, do you confide in people about like, hey, I was thinking this or whatever or like, uh, you know, like all that stuff that, that's yours. That's yours. You own that. Those are your thoughts and who you share, you choose to share them with is part of your humanity. That's part of being an individual and having self-ownership. And someone swooping in saying, pointing a gun at your head and saying, we're going to steal all of your thoughts yeah. to the point where if you write them down or use any modern tool to look for anything, we're going to now know your thought process and we're going to, um, you know, we're going to have access to your innermost thoughts. Like that's, uh, that's appalling. It's authoritarian. It's, uh, it's evil at its core. It's evil. Um, yeah. So it it's doesn't, an, and you don't, an it doesn't invasion. make you a bad person to have secrets. Oh yeah. Yeah. I had a family member who, um, broke into my filing cabinet when I was, uh, in college and read all of my journals. Right. And how much dating. of a violation is that? Right? It was awful. And I still have nightmares about it 20 years later, 25 years later, however much longer. Yeah. 20 years later, uh, it was a total invasion of privacy. That's your private thought. You're trying to work things out. You know, it's, um, it's hard to explain, but, uh, you're like suddenly naked psychologically speaking before people that you haven't trusted to see you that way. <laughs> Put it that way. Right. Right. Um, yeah. so by the way, there's about, I, I appreciate the security people in chat who are like, you have to do more than VPN, this and that. Yeah, I know. There's a lot of risks. And uh, at some point, you got to call it a day. I mean, really, if you want to be secure, uh, you kind of just don't use the internet <laughs> like, at some point. But um, but you can make it at least harder. It's, 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 a, it's a scale. And Maria Tuscan points out that talking about it on YouTube destroys the purpose of the VPN. I guess so. But uh, I still have a VPN. So, whatever. All right, Carrie, I think we've done we've done a couple yeah. hours. I think we should wind down. What do you think? Yeah, let's wind down. You guys, thank you so much for joining us. Um, if you haven't watched it yet, we got to release an interview with um, Marie Buskey, who uh, runs Skeins New Zealand Yarns, Skeins Yarns in New Zealand. 
and that's up on our channel. If you haven't seen it yet, it was, she is a lovely person. Uh, the kind of person I really enjoy talking to just really strong and sweet and knows who she is and admirable and an inspiration. And she has a very cool accent. So it's nice to listen to her too. So go check that interview out. And, um, we are, uh, we'll be back on Monday with live coffee break and, uh, yeah, check us out on unsafespace.com. Alrighty. Thanks all. Have a great weekend and, uh, we'll see you Monday. Thanks for watching. Bye Carter. (laughs) 